going to ask all those men to be deacon, deaconized tonight. All the fellas that's going to be in the service and their wives, please come sit on the front row right here. All those that are coming tonight for the, the service for the deacons. I think we're through shaking hands. You know what to do. Everybody sit down. And while you're sitting down, here's the instructions. If you remember what day you were saved on, you stand up on that day and can remain standing. And if you don't remember, but you know you saved, we all stand on Sunday. Glory, 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 all together. Glory, glory, glory. Somebody touch me. Glory, glory, glory. Somebody touch me. Glory, glory, glory. Somebody touch me. Must be. It was on a Monday now. It was on a Monday. Somebody touched me. It was on a Monday. Somebody touched me. It was on a Monday. Somebody touched me. Must be in the hand of the Lord. On Tuesday now. It was on a Tuesday. Somebody touched me. It was on a Tuesday. Somebody touched me. Be seated. Come on. Hey. Amen. I want to say I love the Lord tonight, and I'm glad that I'm saved. I'm glad I know the weeks of the days of the week, too, or else I wouldn't know when I got saved. So, I mean, but I'll tell you, um, the song we're about to sing is called God Will Provide. And you know, every day of my life, God supplies every need that I have. Not my wants, but my needs. There is a difference. 
And y'all listen to the words of this song. I pray that it'll be a blessing to you. We're going to practice it on you, so y'all pray for us tonight. Isaac walked up the mountain, his father by his side, never realizing he would be the sacrifice. And when Abraham raised his hand to take his child's life in his heart, he must have wondered why. Sometimes God will take us to unexpected places, but in every situation we will find God will provide. more than we can fathom. He will supply. God will provide. If we trust in Him completely and take each step and leave it like a child, God will Father's only son was offered as a priceless gift of faithfulness and love. Amidst the cry of all mankind, God reached down from above and covered us with Christ's atoning blood. No matter what your need is, God will always meet us, and I know His grace will be enough. God will provide, provide beyond what we imagine, so much more than we can fathom. He will supply, God will provide. Trust in Him completely and take each step and leaving life a child. God will provide beyond what we imagine, so much more than we can fathom. He will supply. We trust in Him completely and take His step, believing like a child. God will provide. God will provide. Yeah need to hear that once in a while, don't you? He will provide. Take your Bible and turn to Psalm 32 tonight. Psalm 32. We're going to be ordaining 
uh, our newest deacons at the end of the service tonight. I'm not going to bring a charge directly to them because of the thoughts that I'm sharing with you, and uh, but something that will be a benefit to all of you, but I will say a word to them in a little while. Last week, I put a picture on the screen of Imogene Tig. <laughs> this picture is of Gary Cleaver. This is... This is when he brings his, when he does work for us, this is what he looks like when he brings his bills but the office to us, amen. <laughs> feel like a guilty dog. You ever feel guilty about things? I want you to stand as we honor the reading of his word, Psalm 32. And let's begin reading, and we'll read down through verse 5. The psalmist says, here's a great psalm, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night, Thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the draught of summer. Selah. That selah is actually a musical rest. And the ideal is stop. Don't rush ahead now. Stop and think about what he's just said. He said in verse 5, I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. Thank you. you. may be seated. Let's pray. And we're thinking about how to handle the things that handle you. Last week, we thought about the subject of fear. Tonight, I want us to think about the subject of guilt. So you feel like a guilty dog. Let's see what the Bible has to say about the matter. Our Father, tonight in Jesus' name, we're so grateful that you will provide. We're so grateful, Lord, that you are the kind of God that can provide. And Father, the meeting of our needs is, Lord, you have the ability. And Lord, there is no need in our life that ex exceeds your ability. So, Lord, we come tonight, we thank you, we praise you, we rejoice in the wonderful promise that you are Jehovah Jireh, the God that will provide. Now, Father, we ask you tonight to give us a word that will help us. So often we find ourselves in the grip of certain things in life. Sometimes, Lord, we find ourselves in the grip of fear. Lord, there are times we find ourselves haunted by our past. I pray tonight that you will give us a word that will help us and give us a word that will strengthen us. And I pray tonight that we'll learn how to be a victor and not be a victim to our guilt. So, Lord, speak to us tonight through your word, and we'll praise you for it is. In the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. I think of the words of Walt Whitman in his poem, Song of Myself. He writes, I think I could turn and live with animals. They are so placid and self-contained. They do not lie awake in the dark and weep 
for their sins. What Mr. Whitman was expressing in that poem, I'm sure many wish could be true about life. There are many that wish that somehow they could escape the guilt that they feel when they do wrong or the guilt they feel over their past or something they have done. Animals are not bothered by their failures. Animals are not bothered when they do wrong. They don't go out and worry about it or weep over their doing wrong. They don't do it. And many wish like Walt Whitman that if it were possible they could live with the animals or even live like an animal if it would be a door of escape from their guilt. William Wordsworth said, from the body of one guilty deed, a thousand ghostly fears and haunting thoughts proceed. It is very possible that there are those in this room tonight that are haunted by the ghost of guilt. It is very possible that the skeletons in your, in your closet are constantly rattling their bones, and you are constantly haunted and harassed by your past or your failure. There is the matter of guilt. Seneca said that every guilty person is his own hangman. What you did in the past, the failures of your past, puts a noose around your neck every day. The guilt that you feel and the shame that you feel over your sin, your failure even now or in the past, takes you to the gallows every day and puts a noose around your neck. And the memory of that failure makes you your own hangman. I'm sure all of us tonight, if we were honest, we would admit there's some things about our past that we're not proud of, and there's some things about our past that bother us at times. Sometimes our conscience stings over the things we have done. I love to read the stories of Sherlock Holmes, the British author Sir, Sir Arthur Conan, Conan Doyle. The author of those stories was known as a very practical joker. And on one occasion, he sent as a practical joke a telegram to 12 of his best friends. He sent it anonymously. And the telegram simply read, flee at once, everything has been discovered. In the next 24 hours, all 12 of them had fled the country. It would appear that there was something that bothered them and something that haunted them. Someone has said that the worst trip you can take is a guilt trip. The worst feeling that you can have is the feeling of guilt or feeling like a dog. So I want to just say a word tonight about how to learn, about learning how to handle your guilt rather than your guilt handling you. I want you to look at Psalm 32. Someone has said that Psalm 32 is the x-ray of a guilty conscience. For what you have in Psalm 32 is a man that is filled with guilt. But he moves from being filled with guilt to being filled with gladness. And he moves from being filled with gladness to being filled with glory. It is David's own testimony. I want to point out three things from the psalm tonight that I think will be helpful to you. The first thing that I want you to notice is that he was a bothered man. When you look at Psalm 32, you find David is a bothered man. Look at verse 3 and verse 4. David says, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. David described a roaring in the ears of his conscience all day long. He describes the heavy hand of God that was up on him all day long. What David is saying in those words and describing 
words, is a man that is bothered. It is a man that is haunted by his past or haunted by his failures. Now, you might ask the question, what is it that haunted David? Psalm 51 is a sister to the Psalm, of Psalm 32. And in Psalm 51, verse 3, David said, My sin is ever before me. David was saying, It is my sin that bothers me. It's what I have done that harasses me. It is what I have done that bothers me. He is a man that has a stinging conscience over the failures in his life. I read not too long ago, in fact, I done some more research on it just this past week, but I heard about an interesting fund that exists in the United States. It was originally called the Conscience Fund. Although it is not well known, the fund has been around since 1811. In 1811, someone that had defrauded the government sent in $5 to repay that debt. They didn't, they'd sent it in anonymously, but they sent in that $5 and stated, this is for taxes that I did not pay. Someone in Washington came up with the idea of establishing a fund for people who had a guilty conscience. It is now the depository for anonymous payments that is sent to the Internal Revenue Service and other agencies. And since 1811, the fund has received $3.5 million or billion dollars. In the year 2000 alone, the fund brought in $264,000. But the contributions of the fund come not only from tax sheets, but they come from people that are feeling guilty about everything from swiping office supplies to reusing postage stamps. One person sent in $1,000 in $1 bills with no explanation. One, one of the biggest checks came in 1990 for $155,502. But money is not the only thing people send in. Old nuts and bolts and tools and even 31 pieces of silverware are just a few of the things that has been sent in. And a few of the explanations for the money and things sent in are such as one said, this is the money that was not reported on my income tax and has been on my mind for several years. I want to make restitution. Another one said, while I was in the Air Force for four years, I took a few things that did not belong to me. I am now a Christian and want to make it right. This $100 should cover it. And another said, about eight years ago, I took from a railroad station an item worth about $25, and this has been on my conscience ever since, so I am closing $50 to clear my conscience. And then another said, please accept this money for two postal stamps that I reuse. And he goes on and on and on. The government promises that if you send in a check, you don't have to send it anonymously for you can send it into the fund without fear of retribution. So in case you're interested, you can mail your checks to the Conscious Fund, U.S. Treasury, Credit Accounting Branch, 3700 East Highway Room, 6D37, Hyattsville, Maryland, 20782. I thought I'd give that to you in case you were bothered about something. Can I get an amen there? Gary, sit back down. You don't have to leave right now and mail it. Amen. But here is a man that's conscious, is bothered about something. What is it that he's bothered about? Maybe I'll point out two things briefly in the psalm. For one thing, there was the sin that David committed. You see, the background to Psalm 32 is the great sin of David. David was guilty of several things. He was guilty of taking another man's wife, and he was guilty of taking another man's life. 
You see, David was guilty of the sin of adultery, and David was guilty of the sin of murder. That was the sin that he committed. But the second thing, when you look at the psalm, you not only see the sin he committed, but the sin that he concealed. But you notice in verse 32, David spoke of when, I, in Psalm 32, verse 3, he spoke of when I kept silence. David said, there was a period of time in my life when I kept my mouth shut. There was a period of time in my life that I hid my sin. There was a period of time in my life that I concealed my sin. What he's saying in those words is that he, was, that he had said nothing about his sin and he had done nothing about his sin. He had committed sin, but he concealed that sin. We often hear a lot about Watergate, the great cover-up. Well, the greatest cover-up in the Bible, no doubt, was David's sin. His adultery with Bathsheba, how he tried to cover that up. And the committing of murder, murdering Uriah, her husband, and the cover-up there. And all the events that followed as David sought to cover his sin and sought to conceal his sin. You see, David's committing of sin defiled him before God. But the covering of his sin disturbed him within. It was when he kept silent about his sin that day and night he was haunted by his sin. As he covered his sin and concealed his sins, the ghost of guilt dogged his every track. By concealing his sin in the words of Seneca, he made himself his own hangman. I remember reading about the great train robbery of 1963. And crooks halted a Glasgow to London Royal Mail train and looted of, of over $7 million. Fifteen people were involved, 14 were arrested, one was never caught. But I want you to listen just, uh, just, uh, to, just to a few of the people that were involved in the thing and what they had to say about it. Bruce Reynolds said, anyone who thinks crime pays must be mad. James White, noting that he was at the end of his tether, said thankfully and that he was glad that it was all over with. Ronald Edwards, when he surrendered, stated that he had been living a crazy, unnatural life. But I want you to listen to what Carlos Wilson said. He said, it wasn't worth it. The nagging fear of discovery gave me a permanent headache. I get my tracks every way that I thought they could be covered, but yet on the inside, there was that guilt. The skeletons in his closet were rattling their bones day and night. He was a bothered man. All day long he was restless. All night long he was sleepless. Like a cancer in his soul, guilt aided him. It harassed him through the day and it haunted him through the night. He was a bothered man. But look at the second thing in this psalm. Are you with me now, say man? Not only do you see him as a bothered man, but you see him as a broken man. For notice the first part of verse 5. He said, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. For over a year, David hid his sin. For over a year, David covered his sin. But there was an hour that God uncovered his sin. And in that hour of his sin being uncovered, David fell before God as a broken man. And David said, I will hide my sin no longer. I will no longer try to cover my sin. I will no longer try to conceal my sin. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. Now, what was David doing? Two simple things. One, he was acknowledging his sin. He was acknowledging his sin. He said, I have acknowledged my sin unto thee. Now, let me say this tonight. The first step 
to overcoming guilt in your life is this matter of acknowledging your sin before God. Like the English writer Oscar Wilde said, the man's highest moment is when he kneels in the dust and he beats his breast and he tells the sins of his life. Augustine said the beginning of understanding is knowing thyself a sinner. And the beginning of handling guilt that is often handling us is uncovering that sin before God. David said, God, I have done wrong. God, I have committed sin. I have concealed my sin. I am not going to hide my sin any longer. He acknowledges his sin. But second of all, he not only acknowledges his sin, but he admits his sin. But you notice what he said in the latter part of verse 5. I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. He acknowledged his sin and he admitted or confessed his sin to God. He came to God and said, Lord, I have sinned. Now here is my sin. I confess it before you. Now what does it mean to confess sin? I think sometimes we have this ideal about confession, just going to the altar and shedding a few tears. What does it mean to really confess sin? The word itself means to agree with. And it's like we saying amen to something. I agree with that. I affirm that. That's right. And when we say that we're confessing sin, we are saying that we are agreeing with God about this matter. In other words, when you confess your sins, you're agreeing with what God has said about that particular issue. David, when he said, I confess my sin, he was saying, Lord, adultery is wrong. I agree with that, and I acknowledge that. He was saying, Lord, your word says murder is wrong. I agree with that, and I confess that I'm guilty of that. He is saying, Lord, you have said in your word, this is wrong. I agree. Now I am doing something about it. But I want you to understand that confession not only means to agree with it, but it also means that you let it go or you forsake it. Listen to what Proverbs 28, 13 said. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Now, what God says now, you come to me, you agree with me that it's wrong, and then you confess that matter, agree with me about the matter, and then turn from the matter. Get it out of your life. Forsake that sin. Now, that's what David is doing. David has hid his sin, and the whole time that David hid his sin, he was haunted by the ghost of guilt. He said, my bones roared all through the day. When I got up in the morning, my failure was ever on my mind. All through the day, I was eaten at by my guilt. I was being eaten up by my guilt. All through the day, it haunted me. All through the night, it harassed me. I was constantly, constantly being trailed by the ghost of my guilt. But he finally comes and says, God, I'll hide it no longer. I agree with you. I acknowledge my sin, and I admit my sin. He confessed that sin to God. That's the brokenness we see in David. But here's the third thing, and this is what I want you to get tonight. You not only see a bothered man, a man hiding his sin and haunted by his guilt, and a man finally coming clean before God, a broken man. But thirdly, you see a blessed man in Psalm 32. You see, David was a man filled with guilt, but he was also a man that found grace. Aren't you glad for the grace of God? David filled with guilt, found grace, and when he found grace, he was filled with glory. You see, David found out that the way to handle guilt was to get your sin right with God. Look what he said in verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. I underscored the word blessed there. 
It is a word that literally means, oh, how many are the blessings of. It's like David said, for a year I was haunted by my guilt. For a year I was living under the fear that my sin was going to be exposed. For over a year I was harassed and haunted by my sin and by my failure. But one day I came clean before God and oh, how many are the blessings of having my sin forgiven by God. He even goes on to say that God had put a song in his heart for he talks about the songs of deliverance in verse 7. You see, God had put a shout on his lips and a song in his heart when he made things right with God. Now, when David uncovered his sin, what did God do for him? Look in verse 1. First of all, he forgave his sin. Verse 1, David says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. You see that word forgiven there? It is a word that means to lift. It means to carry. It means to bear. It means to lift up and carry away. It is like lifting a heavy burden off of someone and carrying that burden away. David said, oh, my burden was heavy. He said, day and night I was haunted by my sin." But he said, I uncovered my sin before God. I got my sin right with God. And it's like God took that heavy burden of my heart and lifted up that heavy burden that I was carrying and forgave me of all of my sins. Aren't you glad tonight God forgives of sin? Aren't you glad tonight God forgives of sin? Are you listening to me? Aren't you glad tonight God forgives of sin? Where would we be tonight if it were not for the fact that God forgives us of sin? G.K. Chesterton said, God paints in many colors, but he never paints so gorgeously as when he paints in white. And I think about how God painted the sunset crimson and the ocean blue and the trees green and the flowers red and purple and yellow. But in my opinion, when he paints in white, he does his greatest work. You say, what do you mean? I'm talking about Isaiah 118 where he said, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God can forgive you of your sin. Now, you listen to me tonight. I don't care what you've done. There's some few of these knotheads out there that will give you the impression that there's some sins you can commit that there is no forgiveness for. And there's some that will give you the impression that if you do this, there's no hope for you. And if you do this, you're eternally damned and con- eternally condemned. Now, won't you listen to me tonight? By the authority of the blessed Word of God, there is no sin that God will not forgive. And if you'll come to God and confess your sins, blessed be God, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, will cleanse of all sin. Can I get an amen there? God forgave him his sin. But look at this. God forgot his sin. Not only forgave his sin, but he forgot his sin. Look at verse 1. I love this. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Now, you think about that for just a moment. David had covered his sin. And when David covered his sin, God uncovered his sin. But when David uncovered his sin, God covered his sin. You see the word covered in verse 1? There, the latter part of verse 1, it is a word that means to conceal. When David had concealed his sin, he was filled with guilt. 
But when God concealed his sin, he was filled with gladness and with grace. For God forgave his sin and God forgot his sin. He covered that sin. He concealed that sin. And as the other psalm or the other prophet said, he buried it in the sea of God's forgetfulness, never to be remembered again. I want you to understand something. When you confess your sins to God, as far as the east is from the west, so far does God remove your transgressions. You say, how far is that? Drive you a stake in the ground and start east. And as long as you go in that direction, you'll always be going east. You go west, and as long as you go in that direction, you'll always be going west. In other words, what he's saying is that your sins will never be remembered again. Your sins will never be brought up again. In fact, look what he said in verse 2. He said, Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. I love that word imputed there. It means to charge to someone's account. You know what the psalmist was saying, what God is saying? That when we confess our sins, God forgives our sins. And when he forgives our sins, there's two things that he does. One, he wipes the slate clean. He takes the records there and he erases the debt you owe. He erases the sin you committed. Erases the sin you committed. He erases the failure of your life. And second of all, not only does he wipe the slate clean, he never charges that sin to our account again. Now, there may be some knothead around you that are bring it up, but as far as God is concerned, when he forgives your sin, he forgets your sin, and it'll never be charged to your account again. One of my favorite characters in history is Queen Victoria. What a marvelous, marvelous age it was in the United Kingdom during the reign of Queen Victoria. But I read about when her beloved Prince Albert died. Queen Victoria lived under a constant cloud of grief, and nothing would comfort her. In the evening, she would weep as one of her servants would read to her from the Bible. She'd read a passage from the Bible, and Queen Victoria would just sit there and weep. One day, one of the ladies, one of the servants tried to reason with the queen. She said, Your Majesty, instead of feeling morbid, you should rejoice. One day in heaven, you're going to meet these great people from the Bible. You're going to meet Moses, and you're going to meet Jacob, and you're going to meet Abraham, and you're going to meet Joseph. Your Majesty, you're going to meet King David. And all of a sudden, she interrupted and said, No, 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 no. I will not meet David. And what she meant by that was the failure of David. Now, Queen Victoria died on January the 22nd, 1901. And in my opinion, understanding her life and knowing her faith, I believe she went to heaven. But I got a sneaking suspicion one of the first people she met was David. And I can imagine when she walks down the streets of gold and all of a sudden, here is David. And David says, Your Majesty. And she looks at him and she says, David, is that you? What are you doing here? You were an adulterous king. You were a murderous king. How can you be here? And I'm sure David smiled and said, Yes, you're exactly right. But blessed is the man to whom sins are forgiven and whom God imputeth not iniquity. <laughs> I'm telling you tonight that God will forgive a sin and he'll cleanse of sin and wash you as white as snow. Can I get an amen right there? I remember reading about this fellow who stopped at a country store one time to ask the distance to a certain town. 
and your country people, the reply was, the old fellow said, well, if you continue going in that direction, the direction you're going, it'll be about 25,000 miles. But if you turn around and go back, it's about three miles that direction. Well, I want to say tonight, if you continue to go on and cover your sin and try to conceal your sin, you will never know freedom from guilt. And as, strong, as long as you try to keep it in the closet, as long as you try to hide it, and as long as you try to cover it, and as long as you don't ever deal with that thing, you will never know what it is to be free from guilt. But the moment you turn around and you come to God, you don't have to come to me. You don't have to get up in this service and broadcast your failure. It's not me that forgives. It's not the Pope that forgives. It's not people in this altar that forgives. Go to God. And say, dear God, I am tired of my sin. I am tired of my kill. I am tired of my failure. I agree. I want to be cleansed. And the moment you do is the moment God will forgive you of your sin and forget your sin. And that is the beginning of being free from guilt in your life. As long as there's things in your life that is not right, there will be guilt. But you handle guilt by making it right with God and knowing that I have made that thing right with God. There's two things I've learned through the years about guilt. Two things I've learned about how guilt works in my life. I have learned that the Holy Spirit will always convict me of my sin. I have found through the years that if I do wrong and there's something in my life that is not right, the Holy Spirit will always convict me of sins that I have not confessed. But I have found that the devil always accuses me of the sins that I have confessed. How come alone I come to God and if I've not made it right, God the Holy Spirit will deal with me until I get it right. And then I get it right. And then the devil comes along and says, well, look what you did. You remember how you failed the Lord? You remember what you did in your life? And he will haunt you and harass you over that failure. And if you're not careful, you'll let that failure in the past keep you down. It'll keep you in bondage and keep you from doing something for God. God will begin to deal with your heart, say, I want to bless you, I want to use you. But you think, oh, but I did this, I did that. I can't be used of God. You see, the Spirit of God only convicts of unconfessed sin. But it's the devil that always accuses you of confessed sin. He's always reminding you of what you have done in the past. Like the one fellow that went to the doctor. A psychologist, he said, Doc, you've got to help me with my wife. And the doctor said, what's the matter? And the fellow said, every time we get into argument, she gets historical. And he looked at her and said, you mean hysterical? He said, no, I mean historical. She drags up, drags up everything in my past and reminds me of everything I've done wrong. I mean historical. Well, the devil deals in historical. He'll bring up your past. But I want you to listen to me. If you have confessed your sins and you have confessed that sin before God and God has forgiven you of your sin and God has forgotten you of your sin, you do not have to carry around a load of guilt over your past failures. If it's under the blood, it's gone. If God has washed it away, it's gone. You don't have to live or in guilt over what you've done in the past. It's gone, thank God. You see, I've learned there's basically a threefold proposition when it comes to guilt or forgiveness. One, forgiveness, there's the forgiveness of God. Two, there's the forgiveness of others. And three, there's the forgiveness of ourselves. 
The forgiveness of God is guaranteed. You confess it, he forgives it. Amen? And I have found that for the most part, people will forgive. If not immediately, they will forgive in time. But you know what the problem is in many cases? It's simply forgiving yourself. Forgiving yourself for what you have done. But I want you to listen to me. If God can forgive you, then you can forgive yourself. But you said, Brother Ken, you mean, you really mean that I can forgive myself for what I've done? Has God forgiven you? Has God forgiven you? If God has forgiven you, then you can forgive yourself. And if God's not going to bring your sin and failure up again, then why do you let the devil bring it up again? Why do you harass yourself and torment yourself over what you've done? If it's under the blood, put it under the blood, leave it under the blood, rejoice in grace, rebuild your life, and go on for the glory of God. I'm talking about the grace of God. This is a story I'm through. On the island of Trinidad, I read about this crater in this extinct volcano that is completely filled with pitch. The asphalt is hard enough for people to walk on, even though here and there gas bubbles escape or gas escapes and bubbles from the surface. And every day, train loads full of asphalt are dug from this tar-like lake. And they're used to pave roads all over the world. And they say that no matter how large a hole of asphalt that is dug out, that it'll fill itself back up in 72 hours. And for over 100 years, they've been taking shiploads of asphalt out of this crater, but yet it stays full. And they've gone down as deep as 280 feet and found this black gum-like substance bubbling up and it still fill itself up. When I read about that, I thought, that sounds just like the grace of God. It doesn't matter how terrible the sin is and how deep you may go in sin, the grace of God and the forgiveness of God is always sufficient. What I'm saying tonight is you don't have to be a prisoner to your guilt. You don't have to run around feeling like a guilty dog over something that happened in your past. If it is forgiven, it is forgiven. If it is forgotten, it is forgotten. You forgive yourself. You bear it in your heart. You go on for the glory of God rather than living under the weight of your failure. Amen? Stand to our feet, please. We're going to sing one, two stanzas. And then we're going to recognize those that we're going to ordain in just a moment. But there may be those in this room tonight that are haunted, haunted by your past. The devil defeats you and trips you up and destroys your, you just because of your guilt. Can I encourage you to come tonight? Just walk down here and say, God, I've made it right. And there may be something in your life that needs to be made right. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe the first step tonight is to come before God, acknowledge your sin, admit your sin. That's the first step. That's the road of recovery. That's the road of, of getting out from under that guilt. First of all is get it right before God. Maybe that's what somebody needs to do tonight. But on the other hand, maybe you've done that and you're still haunted by your past. But I want you to, re one, remember the Holy Spirit's not the one haunting you it's the devil that haunts you and forgive yourself because god has forgiven you and become a victor and not a victim amen maybe you need to come tonight we're going to sing one maybe two stanzas at the most i want you to come father tonight in jesus name we thank you for the blood of jesus christ that cleanses 
from all sin. From all sin. And I thank you tonight, Lord, that we can be forgiven of our sin. And if forgiven of our sin, we don't have to carry around that load of guilt. We don't have to, Lord, to be haunted by the skeletons in our closet. Father, tonight let somebody open the door and get the skeletons out, deal with them before God, get them right. Father, let somebody tonight uncover their sin before you, before you in your own way uncover their sin. Father, tonight I pray that someone would gain the victory over guilt, being haunted and harassed by their past failures and their mistakes, their sins. Let them find tonight the peace that comes from knowing that their sin is forgiven. May they leave tonight saying with David, Oh, how blessed it is to know that my sins are forgiven. May they find the joy of forgiveness tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing, I want you to...